I am sure that all of you have faced, as I have faced, occasions when we have said, Will this ever end? Or, How will this end? What does the future hold? I think especially in this day and age, we have that last question, don't we? Wars throughout all of the world, turmoil in our own nation, multitudes, millions of people without work, unable to find employment to help them with their human needs. And the thought certainly flashes through our minds, how will this all end? What will come of things? Thankfully, the scriptures tell us. We can go to the Bible and we can see what God says, how things will end up. The conclusion of all things he has recorded in his word. If you have some scriptures, turn to the very last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, the very last two chapters. So it should be somewhat easy for you to find. Go to the very back of the book and just kind of start working your way back a little bit towards the front and right away you'll find Revelation. And the first one you'll find is chapter 22 and then turn back one more to chapter 21. And we'll read a few verses from chapter 21 and a few verses from chapter 22 because they describe for us God's plan for the end of all things. And we need to look at it to have some foundation and understanding of what lies ahead. In our lifetimes, we don't know. We don't know. But it could come in our lifetime. And so it's good for us to know what God has planned because it can give us encouragement and comfort and warning to prepare for that day. I'll start with Revelation 21 and I'll start reading with verse number 1. And it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place or the tabernacle of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And aren't we glad? And aren't we glad? And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, 
the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I'll drop down to verse number 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. At night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Drop down to verse number 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. In these verses we read very clearly God's plan for the end of all things. As we have read through the passage of Scripture, we're reminded of how God has been at work for many years. God began a plan in the Garden of Eden. And the plan that He began in the Garden of Eden, He now brings to consummation. And we read of it in those verses that we just examined. Back in the Garden of Eden, God began His plan. He created all things by the word of His mouth. He placed Adam and Eve, His highest order of creation, in the Garden in Eden. And that Garden became a temple residence for God. 
He came down and he fellowshiped with them. He worked with them. He walked and talked with them. He taught them himself. And they had great intimacy with God. It was a place of worship. They worshipped God. It was a place whereby they could know fellowship and communion with God, the Creator. God gave them commands. He told them to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish all of the earth. And that they should go out throughout all of the earth, carrying with them God's presence. And to extend and expand this garden temple in Eden throughout all of the earth. Sadly, as we know, Adam and Eve failed to accomplish the commands of God. They sinned. They disobeyed. They ate of the forbidden fruit. When God came to meet with them, now a new dissension appeared between man and God. What once they enjoyed, they now feared. They ran and hid when they heard God's voice in the cool of the day in the garden. They fled. God pursued after them. And he spoke with them and he made a promise to them and he said to them, I will send one, the seed of a woman, who will come and will crush the serpent. The first inklings, the first promise, the first revelation that God made to his sinful, rebellious creation, that he would provide a means by which they could reconcile with God again. He expelled them from the garden, placed cherubim guards at the gate of the entrance to the garden, that they might not come in and eat then of the tree of life and endure sinfulness forever. God began his plan that he promised to Adam and Eve by calling an unlikely person by the name of Abram, an idol worshiper, one who knew not God, had no relationship with God. And God called him and he made a covenant with Abraham. And he said to Abraham, I will bless you and I will bless your seed. And through you and through your seed I will bless all the nations of the earth. Do you see the inklings again of God beginning to reclaim and to restore and to reconcile man back to fellowship with him? And that man might begin to fulfill the plan and purpose of God to extend his presence throughout all the earth? And he made this covenant with Abraham that through Abraham and his seed he would begin to bring things back to order again. He gathered the children of Israel out of Egypt where they had gone for many years as slaves. And he brought them out to bring them into the promised land that God had promised to Abraham. On the way he met them at Mount Sinai and he gave to them a reaffirmation, a confirmation of the covenant that he had made with Abraham and told them that they would be his people. He would come and fellowship with them and dwell with them and among them. 
And they would extend throughout all the earth and bless all of the nations of the earth. Again, restating what God had said at the very beginning to Adam and Eve in the garden. And that he had said to Abraham by covenant. He now confirms again with the children of Israel. And he made provision for them to build a tabernacle and a temple. Whereby God said, I will come down and I will dwell among you in that tabernacle. And you will know me and I will know you. I will be your God, you will be my people. And through you I will bless all the nations of the earth. So what started in the Garden of Eden as a garden tabernacle, a garden temple, God now begins to restore by having a tabernacle built in which he would dwell. And that tabernacle would be the center of the nation. Sadly again, the children of Israel sinned and rebelled against God and after many years of long suffering, God withdrew his presence from the temple. No prophet, no word from God, no presence of God among the people. He left them. 400 years he left them. Then Jesus came. It tells us in the scriptures, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. The promise that God made to Adam and Eve in the garden upon their sin, and that he covenanted with Abraham to fulfill, He brought forth in Jesus the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham. God's Son in human flesh. The fullness of God dwelling in human nature. God completing the reclamation project that He began in the garden. By sending his own son. And his son came and he fulfilled all of the commandments that God initially gave to Adam and Eve. That he then gave to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. He fulfilled them all. And the sacrifices that God gave to the children of Israel to use at the tabernacle to atone for their sin. Jesus fulfilled them all. Not because Jesus needed the sacrifice. Not because Jesus had failed. But he went to the cross to die a humiliating death on behalf of people like you and me who could not fulfill the law. I don't want to embarrass any of you this morning, so I won't ask for a show of hands. But how many of you have completely filled the law and obeyed everything that God has instructed us to do, even just the Ten Commandments? Five of them? One of them? No, we haven't. We are incapable of fulfilling God's commands. That's why He sent His Son 
to fulfill it on behalf of people like you and me who cannot do it. That we might have a substitute through whom we can have reconciliation back to the Father. Now you understand a substitute. If someone came to your door on the day that you pay your bills and said, you know, times are really tight. I know it's really hard for you to pay your electric bill and it's hard for you to to pay the insurance and all of the things that you need. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay your credit card bill this month for you. That's a substitute. That's a substitute. Would you have to then also pay that credit card bill? No. Someone paid it for you. And we understand that. That's what Jesus did. God sent his son as a substitute for people like you and like me who could not satisfy God's requirements. He did it on our behalf. That by our faith and trust in him, God counts that as righteousness. The scriptures tell us that Jesus became a living temple. The very presence of God, now fulfilling all that God has shown by picture in the Old Testament. The temple garden, the tabernacle for the children of Israel, and then the permanent dwelling place that they built in Jerusalem, the temple, Jesus now fulfilled in himself, in his person. After his death and his resurrection, he had made a promise to his followers. He had promised them that he would send a comforter. He would leave them, but he would send a comforter. He wouldn't leave them as orphans. He would send a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would come and dwell within them. And he said, those of you who love me and obey me, we will come and take up our dwelling within you. And then on the day that he ascended, he reminded his disciples of that promise. And he said, go back into Jerusalem and wait for the promise. Because the promise will come. And on the day of Pentecost... God, through His Son Jesus, sent the Spirit of God upon those who had trusted Christ. And He came and indwelt them so that now they became living temples. Do you see the progress and the progressive work of God in beginning to reclaim, restore, reestablish, recreate what he started in the Garden in Eden. He sent to us his Spirit that he might recreate us back into the image of God, marred by sin, but conformed to the image of Christ by the work of the Spirit of God. God working out His plan to fulfillment. We now live in that era. 
of the Spirit of God working in our lives to mold us and to shape us as believers and followers of Christ into the image of Christ. And as we gather together as believers and we come together, He comes as well within our midst. And we become a temple. The residence of God. The place where we worship Him. The place where we enjoy His fellowship. The place where He manifests Himself to us and we know Him. And we have the commands of God given to us that we must extend that presence throughout all of the earth until the time of consummation we read a few moments ago of the time when God will bring it all to an end how will it all end we've read the description in Revelation 21 and 22 a day will come when all that we hold dear All that we trust upon this earth, all that we know and love and touch, God will destroy. It will disappear. No more earth, no more sea. A new heaven, a new earth will descend out of heaven. A new tabernacle, it said. The city will become the tabernacle of God. And those of us who have trusted Christ will dwell in that tabernacle as part of it. As we contemplate that future event, it proves to us the continuity of Scripture. All of Scripture fits together and that makes the Bible such a unique book. No book like it on earth. No book like it in history. 66 different books comprising and compiled together into one larger book. All of them carrying through it the progressive revelation of God beginning in the Garden of Eden, ending in Revelation, showing God's plan for sinners like you and me. Revealing His grace. Showing His mercy. Showing His long-suffering. His patience. His willingness to draw men and women like you and like me to trust in His provision, Jesus. The only Savior. The only one through whom we can experience reconciliation and redemption back to God. We see it throughout the Old Testament, coming into the New Testament, all through Scripture. The continuity of God's progressive revelation of His plan of redemption that will ultimately end in the consummation of all things. What spiritual concerns do these texts address? As we read through them, we could see that God had revealed His plan and brought it to conclusion. The consummation of all things, which therefore provides for us 
on the one hand a warning and on the other hand a motivation to trust Jesus Christ the Lamb and as we've read through those scriptures it points out to us a caution to unbelievers there's some pretty scary things stated in those verses it tells us for example of the certainty of judgment a separation will occur the godly will enter into the city the ungodly the immoral the unbelievers the liars the defamers God will cast them into the lake of fire and brimstone. That's their portion, it says. Not only the certainty of judgment, but the finality of judgment. It's over. At that point, it's over. There's no second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh unending times for you to say oh boy I blew it no it's final there is no place in scripture that gives any suggestion or hint that you will have another chance it's final that's what it says that's their portion they're on the outside calls them dogs and unbelievers they're outside the city they cannot enter in only the holy can enter in it gives a caution to unbelievers for you that will appear as a fearful day in these same verses however we notice a call to the unbeliever Jesus calls to them and says to everyone who is thirsty I will give of the water of the river of life without cost you can't buy it you can't trade for it you can't earn it just come to me and I'll give it to you he couldn't make it any simpler could he can't make it any simpler than that then later in chapter 22 we read that the spirit and the bride the bride there are those who comprise the assembly of believers the scriptures call them the bride of Christ the spirit and the bride say come come and drink Come and take of the water of life freely. So not only do these verses provide a caution to the unbeliever, but they describe God's call to the unbeliever. Don't doubt anymore. Come. Don't resist any longer. Come. Don't rest in your own laurels any longer. Come. 
we also see in reading those verses comfort for the believer. Great comfort for the ones who believe. Encouragement to those of us who have trusted Christ. Great encouragement. And it would serve even as an encouragement to the unbeliever to come when you read and see what God has promised for those who believe. Dwelling with God. Seeing His face. Having His name written on your forehead. And having Him say to you, You are my child. And you will recognize me as your God. A city, holy, righteous, like the Garden in Eden before the sin of Adam and Eve. Holy, righteous, nothing impure. No evil can enter it, it says. No sun any longer. No moon. For the Lamb is its light. Great comfort and encouragement for the believer. The certainty of eternity with the Savior. Now because the scripture makes these truths so clear to us, therefore how must we respond to them? For the unbeliever, God calls you and says, come and drink. Everyone who comes, I will give them water. Everyone. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, rich or poor. Come. Jesus in his ministry made it very simple when he said, repent and believe. Repent, as you know, simply means to turn around. (laughs) Instead of resting and trusting upon your own abilities, your own self-righteousness, your own pat on the back for the good deeds that you have done, hoping to appease God, don't rest in that turn and instead trust Jesus. Because Jesus himself said, The Father has sent me to be the Savior of sinners. Trust me. Call upon me. Rest upon me exclusively. And I will save you. I will give to you eternal life. If you are within the sound of this message and have never trusted Christ... I call upon you, as the scriptures called upon you, come and drink. Come to Jesus and drink. Trust Him. And you too will then enter into the holy city on that great day. For those of us who have trusted Christ, these words give to us great comfort great encouragement a reminder to trust God don't look at what we see happening about us 
trust God and His Word, that He has a destiny prepared for us. Scriptures tell us, therefore, encourage yourselves with the truth. I pray that the Spirit of God will take these truths from a first century message and make them real into your heart and life today. And if you have never come to the river of life, that today you would come and drink and claim and trust Jesus as your Savior. Not just the Savior, but my Savior. Trust Him today. I pray as well for those of us who believe that the Spirit of God will take these truths and encourage us today. Comfort us. Remind us of what He has prepared for those who love Him. Let's close with a word of prayer.